Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dial the gate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Welcome to the show, everyone. Episode 18 of Dial the Gate. My name is David Reed. Thank you so much for joining me on this fine Saturday, November the 14th. We have a special guest waiting in the wings, as we always do, but this one is particularly special in my opinion. Miss Sue Ann Ron will be joining us momentarily. So what's going to happen with this episode, as with normal episodes, we will have a guest Q&A with myself and the guest. Then we will be inviting the uh, crowd who's currently uh, in the YouTube live chat to be submitting questions. After that happens, we will be... Uh, showing you some Stargate art that I have submitted from a Miss Sally Whitesides, and then we will have a sign-off. So that's the normal run of show for this episode. Uh, before I bring in Sue Ann, if you like Stargate and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it would mean a great deal if you click that like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops. And you'll get my notifications of any last-minute guest changes. This is key if you plan on watching live. And clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next several days on both the Dial the Gate and GateWorld.net YouTube channels. So my moderators are in the... Uh, YouTube chat and ready to take your questions for Miss Sue Ann Braun. And by the way, I've got her right here. Right here. Hello, Miss Hathor. Hello. I expect you to kneel before your goddess, otherwise, I won't even speak. <laughs> Very good. Very good. We we shall talk. We shall uh dance with our company. <laughs> How are you? I am really good. I mean, as good as one can be in day 90 million of the pandemic, which just uh, keeps on seems rolling. Endless. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. But uh, thank God we're all healthy. And, um, you know, I it's going to be, put it this way, it's going to be really odd wearing clothing without elastic, an elastic waistband. <laughs> We're Again, be... when we have to like get dressed. Properly. Exactly, it's like these don't fit anymore. Yeah, <laughs> oh really. God. Every now and then, I just go upstairs and I like try on a suit or something just to make sure. Otherwise, because you know, basically, I've lived in sweatpants and slippers since March. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been. I, I didn't call this one for 2020 to be perfectly honest, but yeah, you know, it's it's had the year has had its its own um, difficulties. But also, as you as you know, presented its own opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you want to yeah. talk a little about that? Uh, <laughs> well, um, Hathor hosts, I presume yes. you mean. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. How long had you been wanting to do a talk show? Do you know? I I actually didn't, and by that, uh, consciously, I didn't sort of sit down and go, "I want to do a talk show." But I have been saying for about two or three years, I was like, 
I would love to do something that combines all my strengths as a performer, um, but also with this background that I have, because, you know, I started my career. Live TV. Exactly. Yeah. And now I look back at the time I was like, why am I doing this? You know, now I look back and I'm like, it was such great training and grounding and it has stood me in good stead for all kinds of things, not just uh, something like a talk show. Um, but so the idea sort of was serendipitous and that it happened one night I watched uh, a live Instagram and it was a particularly bad one. The moderator was terrible, terrible. Damn. I mean, I so desperately want to like say who it was, but I won't. I will be a lady. Um, but it was terrible. And I was just like, I mean, a five-year-old could have done better. And they had all kinds of technical challenges, which having worked on Instagram Live, I now understand. So a little more respect in that department. But I I was finding myself um, really stressed at the beginning of the pandemic. I wasn't able to sleep and I was really worried about work and will I ever work again as a performer and I watched, yeah. you know, event after event get shut down and yeah. basically terrifying. my entire terrifying and convention after convention getting shut and then the West End, then Broadway, then the West End shutting down. And I just lay awake one night and I suddenly thought, I, it literally was like, Dah! you know, like hallelujah music. And kind of like I, I had a vision and I suddenly went, I know what I can do. And I kind of, I went back to sleep. I woke up the next day and I said to my husband, I'm going to do a show and I'm going to interview actors. And I think I should start with Stargate actors because that's kind of what I'm most known for. I've met some amazing people through it. And also the fan base is so supportive. And because the fan base is so supportive and has been so amazing to me exactly. for the last 25 years, 23 years, however long yeah. it's been, um, I also kind of knew... Uh, I, well, I, I thought, I was like, people will watch this, I think, um, unless I suck. Uh, and then I was like, and also I was, I wanted to try and get back something yeah. in a minuscule way because people were being, you know, professions were being decimated and people who'd look forward to conventions and appearances the whole year, maybe to meet somebody that they've saved their whole lives for, they, they're not going to have a chance to do that. Um, and it just seemed like this kind of perfect fit. And then I was saying in my Gateworld interview, I was like, uh, there's a great expression in Britain called Charlie Big Bananas, which is where you're just like, yeah, mate, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to be all like bold as brass. I'm just going to write to everybody. So I was like writing to Richard Dean Anderson. I was like, I'm going to write to everybody. I mean, what's the worst they can say? No, no right? Yeah, exactly. And then like one by one, apart from Rick, I'm still working on Rick, but one by one, people were like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, I'm in. And then I was like, oh, shit. now, now I you're saddled with it. Show. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I tell you, it was my salvation uh, during certainly the first few months of lockdown because uh, and this is kind of even before the show was so warmly accepted. It just gave me a sense of um, purpose, a sense of discipline to get up every day. The more I got into my guests, the more like all of us, you know, we're multifaceted human beings. So Stargate was uh, a portion of someone's life. And then you start to uncover their career. And right. it's fascinating. 
Right. Uh, and I love that. I absolutely love that. So I found that immensely rewarding. And then the fact that people just kind of took to it and went, yeah. And I really sort of felt people, you know, holding me in their hands and nudging me on all the way, you know, really this, nurturing. And I, it was great. I am a big sci-fi fan and there are a number of different fandoms out there, some more contentious than others. But yeah. for whatever reason, the the largest percentage of of the Stargate fan base is so well behaved in all of the different forms that you go into. I think part of it is, in my opinion, I think part of it is because they skew a little older than a lot of a lot of other um, uh, sci-fi groups do. Like the Star Wars crowds, man, oh man, it's it's a lot of young kids, and they get. I mean, it, and it is adults too, but they yeah. get they get bent out of shape on a lot of things. And there are a lot of of Stargate groups that can get a little bit contentious as well. But sooner or later, there's someone who comes in that slaps them alongside the head and says, "Hey, get along." Yeah, you know, we're in this situation, especially this year. We're in this situation yeah. together, and to be placed to put yourself into a position where you can give something positive out. Uh, to the community something that's not political like everyone is political now and you yeah. know and everyone has an opinion on the situation that, that that we're in obviously and fair enough um but that's just pure and positive and reminds us of of forms of entertainment that were the most pure and positive and that's stargate exactly and the other thing i felt really strongly about because initially i hadn't given it you know, that much thought in terms of like, it has to be this format. Obviously the show grew and developed over the weeks and the months. Um, but a lot of people, I had a few actors initially who were quite like, oh, well, if I'm not being paid, I'm not sure I want to do it. Yeah. And then a couple of fans were like, wait, I, we can't afford this. How are you doing? Like, how are we going to pay? And I was like, guys, it's free. I'm not going to ask. For, firstly, I'm sitting in my living room. I'm at home. I'm not, you know, and it didn't feel like work. It felt like being able to go, Let's have a chat about this amazing show that clearly, and I'm sure you are discovering in your show, um, yours is weekly as well, right? Yeah. Right now? So, and, and I know you've done lots of stuff before in the whole kind of fandom, but as I'm sure you're discovering, this is a show, it was a, a theme that cropped up multiple times in mine. It has changed people's lives, both the ones in front of the camera and the ones watching and the ones writing it, developing it. From props to sets to Every costumes, bit. everybody, and I don't think there are many things you can say that about. You know, it's a, it's a fair point, and the the reverence that the people in front of and behind the camera uh, place on on this franchise. There was a tone that Rick and Michael Greenberg and Brad Wright and Jonathan Glassner and then soon after Rob yeah. Cooper set. Yeah. And it was Absolutely. that if you're not having a good time at this, at least trying to have have a good time, what are you doing here? You know, we're yeah. all here to create a product that we enjoy. And what has and I'm sure you've 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 seen this occur. It, what has happened is that, that that ripple continues to ripple to this day in the people who were involved in it when they talk about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. How I have to ask you how you got into Stargate. Like you said, you're a massive sci-fi fan. So. Yeah, sure. I So I uh, was 14, 15, and the first episode, uh, Children of the Gods, was syndicated on uh, late night uh, ABC syndicated television on Saturday yeah. nights 
back in 1997, the fall of 97. I was a big fan of Poltergeist, The Legacy, and The Outer Limits, both of which were oh, yes. studios. And yeah. uh, one of them didn't come on. One did, and then this Children of the Gods thing came on. And I was like, <laughs> I kind of recognize that ring. Oh, this is a TV show, but okay. I'd never seen the movie. And right. then the next, so the the two hour pilot aired that Saturday night, and then the next night, Sunday, NBC had it had Stargate as a movie of the week. So I fell ass backward ah. into this thing and started watching. Yeah. A couple weeks later, I bought a subscription to Showtime, picked up season two, and kind of filled in the pieces. And I've been watching right. ever since. Great. So you haven't seen season one? Hello. I did. I watched them concurrently. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I watched that over the course of the fall. Yeah. So, and then the DVDs came out and, you know, so yeah, I've, I really have watched it since day one of syndication. And that's and, so cool. Yeah. It's, it, it's one of those things that just, it sticks to you like glue. It's, it's a show that I think in some respects is more, um, and as it's going to be reinterpreted across generations, of course, but is more yeah. relevant potentially today than it was. When it yeah, first came out. absolutely. And what is amazing is that it seems to be, as you said, like cross-generational. Um, there were people, I was saying this uh, actually when Amanda was on the show, I can't remember if it was the first or the second time, but we were talking about it that, um, like, I remember people coming up to me, you know, with their kids who were like six and being like, we love you, you know, I'm not allowed to watch your episode yet. You know? <laughs> and now they are coming up to me and the guy's like, hey, I'm 32 and this is my kid. And you're like, what? So it's amazing. Like the children who were little are now adults and showing their children and their kids' kids and all that sort of thing. It just keeps being passed on. And it's so fantastic. Brad Wright said, you know, his, it's, it's an evergreen show. It's it's yeah. a show that continually remains relevant, and um, other than I mean, there there are certain things that are going to be dated about it, of course. No, that's just a of product. Course, yeah. It's a product of its time, but it's also a product of timelessness because the subject matter is humanist. You know, exactly. It's not political. Yeah. It's not ideological per se. It is about the human condition, and it's just asking questions. It's just saying, "What about this?" We're mm-hmm. not necessarily going to give you an answer. The, the worst sci-fi, in my opinion, says, you know, what about this? And if you don't think this way, you're wrong. Yeah. And I think that's a terrible message to set. You, you, yeah. should, you should, A, be entertaining. And then, B, make it a product that makes me want to think about it and hopefully yeah. trust me to come to my own conclusions about it, for better or for worse. So Yeah. And also, I think having varying opinions is good. Like, I feel like somewhere along the way, especially this year, it's been really highlighted. We seem to have lost the ability to have a debate and to have a discussion. And it's okay if you have, we don't all have to have the same opinion. We don't all have to love everything. We don't, but it's, but respect that I, you know, my opinion, if it's different to yours kind of thing. And I feel people are, this is like such it. a touchy thing, you yeah. know, like, no, it's true. I noticed something on Twitter the other day. I can't even remember what the tweet was, but I tweeted something and people just went like, yeah. I was like, all right, all right. God, yeah. I was just saying it was part just of, my opinion. Part you know? of it, um, I do appreciate for better or for worse that people are, are trying to be more informed because yeah. of just the nature of the situation that we're in. Um, we're sitting around a lot more and we have more time to be, but we're also losing um, the desire to value one another. <laughs> 
Mm. The um, and I was, <laughs> Suanne, I was at a I was at a friend's house in California and uh, for for a six year old's birthday. Yeah. And a political ad came on the screen, and the 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 parent said to the six year old, "Who's that?" And the little boy said, "That's that effing bitch." And I said, and I, I didn't wow. say anything. I was a guest in their house. But when children are taught, and I'm, I'm quoting Picard from, from TNG, when children are taught mm. to devalue someone, they can devalue anybody, including yeah. their parents. And it's, it's shows like Stargate that I point to where Peter Williams as Apophis is laying on the, um, the table dying in, in Serpent Song. And he's saying to O'Neill and everyone else, you know, you must be enjoying this. And they don't say anything because they're not enjoying it. You know, yeah. you're watching your, you're watching a living thing suffer. And yeah, that's the kind of mindset that I think that, you know, we all need to keep in mind, especially right now. There's so much yeah. schadenfreude right now. There's, there's, yes. there's so much bitterness. And one of the things that I'm sure is, is front and center for you as well as it is with my show is that, Let's put this aside, at least for 90 minutes, and talk about things yeah. that really have always mattered. Absolutely. Amen. Couldn't agree more. The uh, the show, Hathor Hosts, is the reason, and I, I apologize, audience, I am talking a little bit more than normal, but it's like, I'm kind of like, this is kind of like host to host here. I feel, you know, <laughs> like this is a kind of a special show. It is the reason, um, the, the chief reason why I started Dial the Gate. Sue Ann, you told me, you showed me through this, that this process over the internet of uh, uh, limited world and view into someone else's world can still work. It doesn't have to be person to person um, because we don't have that as an option right now. So thank you so much for making that, um, forcing me to get up off my butt and create my own show and showing me that, yeah. What it what you're doing works. Aww. So this is this is fantastic. You you are getting Thank ready um, to launch season two when? Well, I'm I'm struggling at the moment because the original plan was to launch now, sort of mid November. Um, it's going to be shorter because I think twenty four weeks is you know that's nearly six months. It's a long time, uh, and. Uh, I was all sort of, well, I wasn't all set. I had a couple of people who were still waiting on dates because people are starting to go back to work. So that is potentially tricky because obviously, as you know, trying to secure guests. Oh my God, it's the hardest part about this. Yeah. And the hardest part too is trying, because people's um, schedules change, Mm -hmm. you know, so you can, you can be filming something and be like, oh, great, I'm free next week. Let's do it on Tuesday. And then on the Sunday, get an email going, oh, actually, we need to reshoot five, six, and you know, these two scenes. And so you're in for the whole of the week. So that's been a bit of a logistical nightmare. And then I had two people um, who I was very keen to do it, who both have got quite big filming commitments coming up. Um, Good for them. You know, you can't feel bad for them. Exactly. Exactly. So to the sort of long-winded way of answering your question, sorry, but I'm I'm now thinking that I'm going to put the whole thing on hold until March. 
and then I'm going to do in March because that seems to be and also then I'm filming I'm meant to be filming from like the middle of December right through till uh sort of early February um with a week off at Christmas so I'm thinking now the best thing to do and I can't guarantee I would hate to say to somebody please put some time aside and then I can't be there you know it's the host right no it's awful so I think we're looking at March because that seems to be when everyone currently uh, who is available and who's booked, tentatively booked is free. Who knows what will happen by March, though, you know. Can but you so us... a bit of a longer wait. But um, what are you working well, on? I mean, uh, I can. Coming? I'm I'm, okay. I'm working on the Princess Switch 3. <laughs> yep, we're officially a franchise, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the second one starts airing next week, I think. Um, I think it's next week, the 19th of November. And where is so, it going to be, be shown? Uh, Netflix. All right. Um, so Christmas, Christmas movies. What's really funny about this, though, for all of us involved, is like we finished filming it in January this year. And I remember getting back from Scotland and being like, woohoo, 2020 is going to be my year. It's a leap year. I'm a leap year baby. I mean, what could go wrong? <laughs> well, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> really? How much time have you got? <laughs> um, so, but what's so strange is like the last kind of job I did was the Princess Switch because we wrapped sort of mid-January. So to be going back now feels very weird. Like the second film hasn't even come out yet and we're all kind of like, what, we're doing another one? <laughs> like you've skipped a year so, yourself or something. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but I am thrilled to be working and it's such an amazing team of people and you know it's such a fun it's the antithesis of Hathor so she's like motherly and calm and sort of quite severe and quite pretty so it's it's lovely I love it <laughs> that's fantastic it's just nice to be working you know what I mean well that's the thing you know I didn't expect uh the talent to be working as I mean LA is still shut down as far as I know and, yeah but most of these <laughs> these folks are Canadian and those, yes, those productions right are they're a bit in full swing. Amanda Tapping, as far as I know, is busier than she has ever been. Ever been. And being. we're trying to get her. And you've gotten her twice. And, I mean, it's like, you know, I, Amanda, no, no, it's fantastic. This is this is a good thing. Amanda and I go back yeah. 20 years. But it's um, – I didn't expect them the, – the engine to be moving as much as it is right now. And exactly. you cannot blame the talent for wanting to – to get back to that it's like please go you know we'll find some time at some point you can't work forever so yeah and also i think the thing is that people are now in terms of covid film companies are starting to become much more sussed about how they can work in this very strange new way that we have but they are figuring it out so as you said like the engine is because that same thing like 90 percent of the guests are in canada yeah and so and they're all working which is yeah. great but it does make doing a show <laughs> tricky <laughs> so i i completely understand <laughs> but any, yes fingers crossed we can do it in march no absolutely any anyone besides rick uh that uh you want to have on that you haven't had a chance to yet well, um, I would I would love to have Michael Shanks, and he he has been asked sort of three times, um, and we did have a discussion early on, uh, and he just at the time he said to me this was very early, so the kind of the first people I asked were Michael, Chris Judge, Peter Williams, like my buddies, you know, the people that yeah. I and Amanda, obviously the people that I 
I knew I could reach out to and, ha- and that I have a really good relationship with and that I know well. So um, like Peter Kalamis, like I knew I would feel, I was like, feel, I felt safe asking them. Yeah. Oh, he's amazing. Um, and Michael at the time said to me, cause I would love to have done him and Lexa together. Uh, and they were just like, you know, we're homeschooling. Yeah. It was kind of early April and everyone I think was just a bit like, what's happening? Are we going to die? Know. You know, it was, yeah. yeah. It, possibly. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's been a scary year. It really has. And I've had like a few fans get a bit like, you need to ask this person and you need to ask that person. Um, and what I think people do have to understand is that not everyone responds in the same way to a stressful situation. Some people are like, hey, yeah, I'm sitting at home. I've got nothing else to do. I'd love to chat to you. Other people are a bit like the thought of doing this right now is terrifying because I have to be open and chat and I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that because everything is making me feel like I want to curl up in a ball and cry. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so there are those extremes. So, um, but I do think, I think that it would be lovely to have them on. And I hope that we can do that in season two. Um, Chris is definitely somebody he and I've been trying to get a date together to make it work, but he's definitely on the list. And then there were a few people that we had to either reschedule or things. So I'd definitely love to have Corin Nemec on. Oh, yeah. um, and, Garrett Wong uh, of Voyager fame Yes, exactly. Well. What a Brilliant good guy. Garrett I've never Wong. met oh. him, but I've always wanted to. He's, he's a good guy. He is such a lovely guy. And he's definitely, definitely on. And also Rainbow, who I know is on later mm. today with you. Um, so sort of Garrett and Rainbow were kind of like all set to go. And then things changed. And that's yeah. how I just said to them, please, definitely, you're you're in it for season two (laughs) so um whenever that may be um... have you been surprised at any of uh the answers that you've gotten back from your long form discussion of of q a i had colin cunningham on was it last week oh i love colin and he told us it was just the nature of the of the conversation um he told us a story that he has never told publicly before at all and it was just like in the spur of the moment you know the topic he felt that it was relevant and um i just assumed that there's someone out there who needed to hear that you know has there been any conversation that you've had where you've stepped back and gone because the, the the intent with all of them is to be like, wow, you know, I understand this person a lot more than I thought I would. And I get this person. But have any of them been like, I did not expect that? Yes. David Hewlett. Um, he was uh, because I don't really know him well. We've met a few times at conventions. Uh, I had met Kate last year at Kalmar and I adored yes. her. Like She's instantly wonderful. just went. I love her. Um, So she's somebody actually I would love to revisit because I feel my first interview, the whole first interview never almost didn't happen because she she got uh, the time zone wrong because I think I put um, 4 p.m. for her and it was 9 p.m. for me. And she read, and of course, because it's my fault, I sent the email with my time first. Um, and after that, I was like, from now on, only give the guests their time. They don't need to know what time <laughs> it is in your country. It's not relevant, you know. That's fair. So each show, as I'm sure you're finding too, you learn things. You're like, right, note to self, don't do that again. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Never talk about that again. Um, 
So, uh, but yeah, so he, uh, I, I knew David, we'd met a few times, but I didn't really know him, know him. And I didn't know that much about Atlantis either. So that was really interesting, that whole journey. And then I just found him, I was just like completely captivated. I could have talked to him for five hours. He's so interesting. He's so genuine. He's so funny, but he's also really deep and bright and, you know, really involved in working with um, kids and kids with learning, uh, kids who struggle to learn in a way that, everyone else finds normal and acceptable. Uh, and I just love that. And then he was unbelievably honest, which uh, I didn't particularly expect uh, about his... I saw, uh, yeah, about caste yeah. relationships, you know? I mean, yeah, those are things that you just don't normally share. But at a certain point, some people are just like, you know what? I if Especially if they have, like, a frustration in their own lives, sometimes that's that's also a potential way to solve it to air some of these exactly. issues a little bit more publicly. And it was it was a really genuine and also how his his um directing experience and with how you know the first film right. he did like Dogs, Dogs Breakfast, Breakfast how fantastic he loved that and then Debug which was meant to be this like amazing experience and it ended up being such a trauma for him. And I found that really fascinating and I was so um I sort of sent him a long letter afterwards saying like I was so moved by how truthful you were because I I really, I really respect that, and I love that because he didn't say anything untoward or anything like no, that. No, he was just know? honest. He was just like, yeah, and I think we're so used to kind of celebrities or people in interviews going, "Oh my god, it was amazing! Everything was amazing! I'm so happy! I love everything and everybody! Like it's all awesome! Life is so amazing! It's just, yeah, it's great." <laughs> you know? It isn't and always. It was, exactly. And yeah, if if anyone's gonna give it to you, it's Hewlett. He's he's genuine, but he's also he's thoughtful in ways that you yeah. wouldn't expect. There's just, yeah. there's the, the, the person is not, it, it could not, I, I think that person could be no more or less like the character, it, at least the way that the character yeah. began. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, but also to answer your question, like the, virtually every single one of them, I kind of came away and I wouldn't always watch the interviews uh, immediately. I would give it a couple of months because I mainly hate watching myself. Um, but I, when I would revisit it or go back, primarily for like technical things and trying to see what worked and what didn't, I was constantly surprised by their answers, by and by people's careers. Like how amazing, you know. <laughs> Sometimes I would finish a show and be like. <gasps> I have no career. I'm such a failure. Because <laughs> I was like, they've all done so brilliantly in the interim. And I'm like, I'm still in the same place in my Aww. career. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's it's all, no, it's all good. And really, really fascinating to learn more about all of them. Well, congratulations again on the show. YouTube, it is available at Hathor Hosts TV. Like and subscribe. So. Yes, please. Yes, I'm going to catch you up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I had the benefit of GateWorld at my back. GateWorld promotes it. So, you yeah, know what? Yeah, that does help. <laughs> it does help a little bit. So, yeah, you're, we will grow together. Absolutely. I like that. I like that. Does Stargate's lasting – I mean, we touched on this a little bit. Um, does Stargate's lasting popularity um, ever surprise you? being invited back to conventions year after year for a character that was in three episodes, 
You know, I mean, that, that, what that, really? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I'm I'm in the others, but it's you, really right. That that's a that's a fr- there's something that just stuck in the craw of a lot of these people. It's like you know what, we love her. Let's bring her in. <laughs> you know, does does that ever just? It's the gift that keeps on giving, as a lot of the actors continually say. Is, is this Absolutely. is it something that ever stops blowing you away? Never, and it constantly surprises me. Constantly, because. I feel like also, particularly with my career, I've had a career that's had um, kind of three different incarnations. You know, I started in South Africa as a television host. Then I went to America and I sort of lived in Hollywood and a lot of American friends and actors didn't know anything about my life in South Africa. Uh, And then I came here and a lot of my English actor friends and friends here didn't know anything about my life in LA. Um, And my husband and I own a bakery together in London, a, a kind of ah. a bakery. And every now and then some of our staff were like, oh my God, like you're like properly famous for Stargate. Like they it blows their minds. They're like- it's big in, in oh. Europe. Yeah. And yeah. they're just like, but you're, you're like, you know, the boss's wife and like the chef sometimes. Like what? <laughs> they can't get their heads around it. And I, I totally understand that because- Every time I'm invited to a convention or something, I just kind of go, wow. I mean, this year, I think Half or Host, that's been really interesting too. Um, Because what it has also done is it's really renewed people's interest in the character uh, of Hathor and and I think of of me as a a performer so it's been a double gift that's given back to me as well as a performer. Um, But yeah, I'm constantly amazed and ever, ever grateful. You know, I really am. I'm like, I can't. Hathor has been so, so, so good to me. Look, I want to step back a little bit. Um, you're from South Africa. Yes. Uh, I've visited both um, uh, Joburg and Cape Town. Ah, oh, lovely. I, I love, love the country. Uh, the, at, least, at least the tourism aspects of it. There was, we were treated very well. We spent a month there. Um, tell us a little bit about um, growing up in South Africa and uh, discovering your passion. And who are your heroes? Who are the people who, who made Sue Ann the person she is today? I, I know wow. that's a loaded, I know. <laughs> let's, let's dismantle that um, piece by piece, if you don't mind. Yeah. So uh, growing up in South Africa, I mean, it's a hard question to answer. It's a bit like when people say to me, what was your time like in LA? You know, it's a very tough question to answer in an okay. easy in a kind of like soundbite okay. south africa my childhood was fantastic i was utterly unaware as a child i was sort of vaguely aware of the kind of political atrocities that were happening in my country which of course sounds naive now but it is the truth um my parents were liberal but i don't think like you know screamingly liberal and I grew up in apartheid South Africa. Um, Mm. My own upbringing was not massively affected by it until I went to university. And it was when I went to university that I kind of went, hang on a minute, this is, something's not right here. This is, this can't be right. And obviously then you start um, reading about South Africa's position in the world and blah, blah, blah. Um, But I was at, I grew up largely as an only child. I have two half brothers who are quite a lot older than I am. So they didn't grow up with me. Uh, But I had 
a great upbringing. I, you know, went to good schools. I was very, my parents always exposed us to theater and film. Oh. Uh, I mean, South Africa didn't even get television until like 1976 or something. So we would sit as a family and listen to radio shows and things like that. Um, and I don't know exactly where the passion came from, but I have sort of like three or four very vivid memories from when I was very young. Please. And one of them, well, the, this one I don't remember, but my mom tells the story that when I was about, I guess I was like a toddler, so I couldn't quite speak flu, uh, fluently yet, but I, I was making sounds of that and I could definitely move. I could up and, and move it. <laughs> and my family, we were on holiday somewhere at the seaside and my mum had dozed off. I don't know where my dad was in all of this, but anyway, my mum had dozed off on the beach and woke up to find I was not there and looked down along the waterfront and there were all these people crowded around. And of course she thought, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, my child has drowned, she's dead. Went rushing down to the front of the water, kind of like burst her way through all these people. And there I was sitting, holding court uh, in my little, you know, frilly bikini or whatever, all of two and playing a game where I was all the characters. And so I was apparently sort of, you know, standing again, whatever, I don't know. But this totally amused people. And she said she watched as people were completely engaged in that. Um, I don't remember that, but the one I do remember, I must've been about seven. And I was in a, the school play had been cast and the girl that they'd cast in one of the lead roles, for whatever reason, I think she probably got stage fright, didn't want to do it. And instead of auditioning like you would, they basically went, we need someone the same height. And I was in the back row and I remember standing on my tippy, tippy, tippy toes, like, and they went, um, you, you, Sue and, uh, and then they, then they kind of pulled us out and went, right, now try and do something. And I mimicked a teacher but of course I didn't, no one knew it was mimicking her. Um, and everybody laughed. And I remember thinking, oh, I like that. I like, oh, that's powerful. Yeah, dopamine. And then, yeah. And then when I was about 13, in my first year in high school, there was a girl who hated me, hated me, um, and was vile to me. I mean, absolutely vile, as only girls can be. And... I kind of took it for about three months and then we were on a school bus on, on the school bus going somewhere to, on some school expedition and I was in the back and she was being absolutely hideous and making fun of me and throwing things at me yeah. and again I got up and I mimicked her because she had a slightly annoying voice and I mimicked her and I kind of pulled off and, and I was horrible back but it shut her up and it made everybody yeah. laugh at her and suddenly people were like oh and that I remember thinking, and then just always, I've always had, you know, imagination. We would play games as kids and, you know, far off lands and things of like course. that. So that sort of passion. And then I remember going to see The Sound of Music as a little girl. With my <laughs> and at interval, I didn't even know what it was, but at interval, I said to her, What's, what, is, what, what are they doing? And she said to me, what, what do you mean? And I said, well, those children, they're not really the children of Captain Von Trapp, are they? And she went, no, 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 they're acting. And I went, that's what I'm going to do when I grow up. And I must have been five. 
And it was like, I remember that so clearly. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And it never changed. And here we are, 150 years later. (laughs) Come on. As for my heroes, um, gosh, this is, you know, I have different people in my life who've really, really influenced me. But like my my family, I mean, I know that sounds cheesy, but it's the truth because they are the people who, through thick and thin, um, you know, my parents and then later years when I was in America, my brothers, uh, my one brother now still lives in America. Um, and just to have those support systems and people who pick you up when the going is tough as well, you know, because mm-hmm. it's easy for people to love you when it's all good and mm-hmm. you're on top. It's when when it's really tough and you at the bottom of the pile, you know, to have your family support. That's so important. So my family, wow. who I've not seen for a year now. <sighs> anyway, it's soon, been, hopefully. It's been it's been hard, you know. My my parents yeah. have been up there in years too, and when we see each other, because I've come, I've gone to see them a couple of times, but it's always like, got to be the precautions that you have to go through, the the hoops yeah. that you have to jump through are just, it's got to be done right now yeah. for sure. Any teachers, Absolutely. any um, instructors that that helped put you in a, a more specific direction in your um, in your journey to act. Yeah, I had a teacher in high school who, funny enough, was not a drama teacher. She was a history teacher. Okay. But I will never forget this because I went to a convent and most of the teachers were Irish nuns and their teaching style was like this. Good morning, girls. Today we're going to be learning about the First World War, which was not the most successful time in history so just open your books on page 37 you know the most bone crushingly boring (laughs) teachers and in high school I so first year of high school 13 in South Africa and um I was kind of new and my only mate who'd come up from primary school to high school with me we'd been separated so she was in another class I had no you know this is like week two and you're still finding your way around the building and stuff And all of a sudden, the door, the classroom door swung open and this briefcase just slid across the floor and in walked this woman in a cape. I mean, I was like, she had me at the cape. (laughs) Cape swished around her and she walked up to the board and she wrote her name on the board, which was Mrs. Slotnick. And she turned around, she went, right, girls, my name is Mrs. Slotnick. We're here to discuss history. I will not tolerate any bad behavior in my classroom, but we will discover history together. And I was like, I love her. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, years later, years and years and years later, I was on an airplane flying somewhere. And at that stage, I was quite successful in South Africa. So I was quite well known. And I was coming back to my seat and I sort of did this double take and there was this woman older but undoubtedly Mrs. Slotnick oh my god yeah and I was like I said I'm so sorry Mrs. Slotnick and she sort of looked at me and I went I'm so sorry it's um Sue Ann you used to teach me in at Rosebank Convent and she went oh for heaven's sake please call me Sandra and and how lovely thank you thank you (laughs) she was but she was exactly the same exactly the same so she was a massive like um 
I just loved her class because she made me realize you can get people to do, to listen to you when you engage them. You know, she was very dramatic, but she was also fascinating. And she made history come alive for two years. I was like, ah, it was never that interesting before. And she made it come alive to such a degree that I took it as a final year um, high school subject. Uh, oh, wow. Only to discover after two years, she only teaches the first two years um, in that school. So like literally got at 15, walked into the classroom to a teacher going, right, good morning, ladies. My name is Mrs. Jubeer. We're going to be doing history. And it was back to that, you know. So So much of it about um, the people who change us, you know, a lot of it is is uh, what they have to say. But also a lot of it is is how they choose to say it to us and how they engage us specifically. Exactly. Have you seen exactly. Mr. Holland's Opus? Oh, yes. I love that movie. So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so really. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite films. And I think it's th- – there are, there are a few – and I've said this on the show before. There are a few jobs more important than teaching because, yeah. you know, our, and our parents are our greatest teachers of all. That's why some of us are messed up more than others, including myself. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it starts there. Yeah, so. absolutely. Season one, Hathor. Uh, original air date, October 24th, 1997. Way back. The show hadn't even started. Um, uh, the show had only just begun in, mm-hmm. in season one. The show probably um, had had the show even started filming and been in production when, when you auditioned. Or how, how early on was this? Tell us what that atmosphere was like for for a brand new show. Yeah, it must have been. Well, I auditioned in L.A. uh, because obviously I was living there and it was still the days of um, good old fashioned VHS videotapes. So you would go in and be put on tape and then the tape would get sent to Rick and the producers. Um, But so I can't they must have been it must have started airing already because I think I was. You know, it was a guest starring role. Um, and uh, I just remember, <laughs> I've told this story before, so apologies if you've heard it before, mm. but I had broken, my, I auditioned in July, July or August, it was very hot. And I'd broken my toe, uh, so I couldn't wear closed shoes. Stupid. I literally, like, slipped on a carpet. And my, <gasps> if this is a wall, my foot went, like, boink into the, you know, like your toes split yeah. into the wall. So, um, so I'd broken, or I think I broke my toe, who knows? I was like, it was really sore. I couldn't wear clothes shoes. It had swollen up quite badly. And, um, so I couldn't wear, so I was like, well, I'm going to have to wear flip-flops. And then flip-flops sort of reduces what you can wear with it. Like you can't go in in a power suit and flip-flops. Uh, and they have been quite vague about the dress. Like they didn't really say anything. And, you know, you only get sides as an actor. Um, and for anyone watching who doesn't know what sides are, it's a portion of the script. And very often they change, and especially nowadays, you know, if you're auditioning for a massive franchise like Stargate, uh, Star Wars or anything like that, they change the names um, or they put your name, they brandish your own name across the sides so that if there is a leak on the internet, they just have to go, hmm, Sue Ann. <laughs> um, <laughs> But in those days, everyone was a little more Harry casual about everything, I think. And so I remember getting the size and thinking, why does she... Because there was no indication that she was royal or a goddess. 
Uh, and the audition scene was the first scene where the men come to her and she she talks like she's, she's asking where's Ra and uh, oh when she wakes up no so I have to oh do she's already at the base, base where they come yeah and just okay. before where she says to um, uh, to lovely Don Don I say it was you with a crown of marble and stuff so I was I remember thinking I was like that's a cool line and there was something about the way it was structured and written that it felt quite formal. And the only people I knew who use we are the royalty. So I was like, oh, maybe she's a queen. So I was like, well, I'm just going to play it like that. However, I had trousers on, slacks, pants, um, and my sort of flip-flops and a nice top. I can't remember. But when I got there, everyone was in like sexy, sexy tight dresses. And I remember just thinking, oh, God, I have misjudged this one terribly. and then I went in and again, they were like, this is a new sci-fi show. And all I was told was that Richard Dean Anderson was the lead. Uh, they didn't say anything about like who the scene would be with. And he was like, okay, go. And he said to me, oh, can you do it in an American accent? So I said, yeah, sure. Because the casting director I read for on numerous occasions and they knew that I worked in both. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, great. Thanks very much. That's all we need. And then he said, is there anything you'd like to ask? And I said, well, um, yeah, I, I said, I'm just curious. Is she, is she a queen or royalty or is she mad? Like, and he's like, hmm. He said, like, if you were to play her mad, he said, she's not mad, but they all think she's mad. So, and I'd asked that in my own accent. And he said, actually, let's do another one, but let's use your own accent and really play up the like regal thing. And that. And that, you know, they think you're mad, but you're not. So, you know, that whole thing of like, so I was like, okay. And then I, all I remember is I sort of sat back in my chair and I was very much like, you, come, come to me, you know, like that. <laughs> and, yeah, it obviously worked. So that was that. <laughs> Absolutely. And then you get the script. Did you do any yes. research on Hathor? <clears throat> um. I'm ashamed to say very little. I'm much better at research now. Um, <laughs> of course, it's much more helpful now with the internet. Right, exactly, with Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I knew she was Egyptian, and I knew that she was, uh, because, of course, in Egyptian mythology, she is different to Stargate. In Egyptian mythology, she's much more um, benevolent and mm-hmm. kind and her earthly form is a cow, which I've never gotten over, ever. <laughs> I was like, really? She couldn't be a cat or a tiger. She's a cow. Right? <laughs> and she is often depicted as a cow. Uh, I was like, excellent. Um, so, a symbol of nourishment. Uh, yes, yes. All Come right, on. let's go Pick with the that. best aspects of it. <laughs> Um, I like to think I was cast for my goddess qualities, not my bovine qualities. I mean, I'm hoping. <laughs> um, That's terrific. But yeah, so I have, I'd sort of done minimal research. And then, and then I was like, oh, do I have to like sound Egyptian? And of course, when they give you all the good old um, dialogue, I was like, how, what, how does, what now? Uh, and they didn't really say to me that my voice would be altered. Uh, so that was a bit of a shock when I saw the finished product. I knew that I knew it would be altered to a degree, but I was like, I sound like a man. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd not seen the film. 
I had I had seen the film, okay. but I don't remember that in the film. Or maybe yeah. I saw the film afterwards. I don't remember. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I get there, and then the only other thing I remember from my first <laughs> my first like day there, um, I had met Mike Greenberg because he's married to a South African girl, to Nikki. Yes. And he, I can't remember how or whatever how it came up, but he was like, "Oh, my wife's South African." And she knows who you are. And I was like, oh, right. And he's like, yeah, she remembers you from South African television, yada, yada, yada. I was like, oh, great. Okay. Then Nikki turns around and says to me, or maybe it was Mike. I can't even remember who. But basically it transpired that Sharon Stone, the Sharon Stone, was meant to play Hathor. And if you guys cast your minds back, there was a little film called Basic Instinct, which did quite well at the box office. (laughs) So she was apparently all set to do Stargate. And then her agents were kind of like hedging their bets. They do, because in those days, of course, actors, film stars didn't do television, dear. But she obviously wanted to work. And, I never and again, knew that. yeah, she, so they wanted, Sharon Stone was going to do it. And then she got offered basic, basic Instinct, did Basic Instinct instead. <laughs> That obviously then wanted to become this massive hit. So they were like, right, we have to recast. So I remember very vividly them saying to me, you know, so she's like meant to be the most beautiful woman in the universe and everything. And I was like, okay, okay, great. <laughs> okay. You know? And then on my first day, they couldn't decide if they wanted to use my hair or a wig. Um, and they wanted it very straight. And obviously mine is not. Um, and so I was sort of like half in makeup. I had like, one eyeball painted and the others not and they were like playing around with the design (laughs) and I had like a head full of curlers and I'd just taken a bite out of a bagel when Rick bounded up to me and went hey I'm Rick and I was like (laughs) (laughs) oh no so so not glamorous and I could sort of see them thinking have we made a terrible mistake (laughs) (laughs) So I remember saying to the makeup artist, I was like, just please make me look amazing. Like, because the first scene I actually shot was the scene where she comes down into the war room, down that spiral staircase, which I just remember thinking, I was like, please don't let me fall. Please don't let me fall. Because they didn't want me looking down. They sort of wanted it to look like she was gliding gliding down down. the stairs. We thank you for allowing us into your court. Exactly. Exactly. And they didn't want me holding onto the sides and this dress was really long and oh my God. And I'm not good with props and things like that. I'm, a, I'm quite good when I just have to sit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you're the I'm... only person who's ever used those stairs, but continue. Oh, really? I'm pretty sure. So someone will, oh, someone wow. will correct me, but no one goes up there ever. Yeah. And the top of the set. Exactly. And they were really narrow stairs and really like it was a really steep spiral so I just remember thinking I was like please god don't fall down these stairs Suman, because that'll just be that'll just you'll be fired before you've even uttered a word you know um but yeah so those are some funny memories that I have did you um, um uh, not to skip ahead a little bit but to skip ahead for a minute there you exit through the stargate at the end of that episode um was there any murmur on the set that, you know what, we'll, we'll see you in the future, you know? You're out there somewhere. Or was it, it could go either way? No, I remember at the time, it, they were quite tweezer-lipped about it. 
but we all went out for drinks afterwards and people were like yeah it's you know you've t- the character's testing really well um and then the kind of first season happened and i never heard anything more and then out of the blue i got a call saying look we've had this idea we're going to bring her back mm. and initially and to this day i mean maybe you know because you've had so many chats with with the powers that be but like i was told that there was a concept that cuz and they even reference it cuz funny enough i rewatched it yesterday for the first time in probably 20 years um which was very odd well, thank you. actually <laughs> well i just thought just in case you ask me something and i'm like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, I have to do my research, you know. Um, and it was really odd, kind of, in some ways awful, in some many ways really good. But there's a line in the script, which I'd completely forgotten about, where um, Daniel says to her, oh, so you're like the queen bee. And I remember them saying to me, we have this idea where uh, we want to have a scene where she has multiple Hathors. So a bit like Baal, and all his clones. Hello, stole my idea. No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I think there was definitely talk of having her be a recurring character and then just like that. And then subsequently, you know, yeah. And never to be seen again, which I'm devastated about. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we never technically see her. I mean, we see her go into the liquid nitrogen whatever something similar to that whatever it is yeah yeah but we never see but you don't see her die interestingly so i mean if they ever wanted to bring her back if the show ever came back you know i could we could go back in time and i could be her mother's mother maybe (laughs) i mean the whole gold family tree is just a whole bunch of incest anyway so exactly exactly (laughs) exactly um what was it like working with the great don s davis with uh, Richard Dean, with Amanda, Michael, Chris in that first episode. Do you know, and I'm sure this sounds like, you know, people making it up or whatever, but honestly, what a dream team. Um, I remember Amanda bounding up to me on the first day on set going, hey, I'm Amanda, welcome. Uh, Terrell was fantastic because Terrell was on on the week that I was there. She was on set quite a lot, obviously, in that episode. And then Don was just one of those men where you didn't feel like you were on set with uh, a colleague. It was on set with a friend. And there are a few things that I sort of remember so vividly and that I've taken with me all my life from Stargate. One was that everyone, like from number one on the call sheet right the way through, and the creative team as well were so welcoming everybody had this kind of like they joked around a lot but when we were working we were working you know Mm -hmm. people weren't taking the piss and you know coming in late just because they were like a big star or none of that which you see unfortunately a lot on sets um everyone was really working their butts off to make the best show possible And I feel kind of lucky that I arrived at sort of episode 14 because they'd had a while to get into the groove of their characters a little bit. And obviously that just got better and better and better and better. And I think you can sort of see it even when I reappear 
In fact, I felt I was more confident. Everything felt a little more like, you know, a bit like when when you see a sequel in a movie and they're like, oh, they got a bigger budget. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it was a season finale and a season premiere at that. Exactly. Um, so I have just only happy memories. They were absolutely brilliant. I'm a big prankster on set. And so I'm I like anyone... I love that. I love it if you can work with people who can make you laugh because then it really doesn't feel like work, you know. And then also she was such a brilliant character to play because she's so, I mean, she's so the opposite of me uh, (laughs) in many ways. And that's exactly what being an actor is all about. You know, I don't want to play what I'm really like. I want to play things that stretch me and make me, that are different to Sue Ann. Mm -hmm. Um, and I loved working with them all. And they're all so different. Everyone had a slightly different uh, thing that they brought to that set and, and different energy. But somehow, collectively, it really, it was like stardust. And I remember when I chatted to Joe Malozzi on the show, who unfortunately I didn't get to work with because uh, he was after mm-hmm. me, after my time on the, on the show, Um but we were talking about this thing and I said, you know, chemistry is such a hard thing to try and define. And you you just never know when it is going to work and when it isn't. And with actually all three Stargates, I think, with um, SG-1, Atlantis and Universe, they absolutely nailed the chemistry of those lead actors. And then that sort of sets the tone, I think, for your guest actors, you know, to come in and the guest stars feed off of that energy uh so i i loved it i mean my sort of biggest regret now is that there's lots of stuff i don't remember in detail because at the time you know you don't you don't think it's going to come back 25 years later and that we'll still be having a chat about it so i wish i'd kept diaries or taken Mm. more photographs you know my mom has always been a fastidious photographer of my career and things but of course she was in another part of the world Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like today with everyone taking selfies and, you know, filming stuff on and behind the scenes and Instagram. There was none of that. So you would have like a little Polaroid and, you know, stick that in a scrapbook. And I've got kind of one picture um, that my mum that I took somewhere or somebody took of me kind of in costume. And it was, I think, a continuity picture with the nails and everything. And I'm and I can see I'm all like. I look so young in it too. I was like, Oh my God, it looked like this little girl. Um, but yeah, it was an incredible experience working with them. Sorry. I'm waffling on. No, you're <laughs> fine. I want to get to uh, some fan questions in just a moment here. You're saying you, your, your show comes back in March. Yes. Potentially. Hopefully. Okay. Yes. Potentially. I want to have you back um, a little bit just before it to preempt uh season two and talk in more specifics cool. about the episodes that you were involved in if you're willing um, yeah sure but before i get to the fan questions uh who do you have uh, standing next to you over there on the mantle well let me introduce you <laughs> this is me <laughs> <laughs> is this a fan creation this is a brilliant guy called daniel uh you're not going to believe this his a- actual name is daniel jackson and he runs a company yeah. <laughs> called Level 28 Toys. And uh, he made this for me. I'm going to try and get her my light here. Wow, look at the detail. But just look at the detail. The hand device, the dress, the 
the face. I don't know if I could bring her. She's even got green eyes like me. Oh my gosh. Angle. Um, I'll take some pictures and send them to you. Cause yes, please. This is not working, but yeah, it's me. <laughs> Isn't she spectacular? That is so like, cool. Yeah, she's amazing. And she, her hands move, like everything moves. Oh, she's opposable. Yeah. You have an opposable self. That's a little... Um... That's right. Look, oh my God, I just realized her wrists move as well. <laughs> Hello, everybody. She doesn't talk like that. I don't know why I'm making her talk like that. Oh God, that's great. How I was... <laughs> How was the costume? Uh, that because you had you had you did have a couple, but that first uh, that initial costume. This costume, let me tell you, I don't know what it is about me in terms of acting as an actress. I have like I think there's something you know when they always talk about people are you you draw the thing you fear most towards you, <laughs> like. I seem to have that with costumes. <laughs> I have like the costumes that are the most uncomfortable, the most tricky. I mean, it was incredibly difficult to wear this because this part is so good that we've got it for show and tell. So this part here, they made out of metal, the straps, these straps here. Oh, I just poked her in the boob. Whoops, sorry. <laughs> Harassment. <laughs> and um so they would like chafe into me because it was metal oh. and then after the first day i had these deep grooves of metal cuts virtually into my neck and they they kind of went oh no we can't have that um so they then kind of cushioned them but they could only do the back because yeah. uh the front you could see the the cushioning oh, so no. i would i literally would have to like move it and then set it before a scene yeah and try not to move. And then the bodice was so tight that I couldn't sit on set. So they had a board for me and I would like be, I would be lent up against the board like this. And then I'd like prop me back up. Literally, they would like wheel me on on this board and then whoops, prop me back up. I mean, crazy, crazy, crazy wow. tight. Uh, going to the loo was a no-no. So it was a nightmare because I'd get back to the hotel in the evening and be completely dehydrated because I would have yeah. not drunk any water. Um, wow. So the costume was a challenge. But as you and I were chatting before the show, when I saw the sketches for what I could have been wearing, I was like, oh, I love the costume. I love it. I love it. You know? Are you ready for because, this one? Go ahead. Oh, Keep my going. God. As I say, like literally the one sketch I saw, it was like a coat hanger. It looked like a coat, a metal coat hanger that had been like twisted over her boobs and then sort of nothing in the front. I was like, um, okay. Uh, and then also the thing that went underneath and I had to wear that thing with the the light on that, you know, gives the ghoul babies. Yes, I had on to your wear chest that or, or your stomach. Under this. Yeah. Yes. Wow. And that was really uncomfortable because of course it wasn't, light it was and then the hand device was really tricky as well because it was actually heavy and metal mm -hmm. and each finger had to be put on individually um so I couldn't really do anything once it was on you know I was I had the other hand but <laughs> it was like it was a very prohibitive costume let's put it that way but it looked fab so hey who cares <laughs> so you've seen uh the concept art of the the back of Hathor of coming out do you yes. have that image on your phone still so you can show that I, to fans. Bear with me. Bear with me. Yeah. Um, and then I'll show you one that you've. If, if Yes. Here we go. Okay. 
if we can see uh let's get off the light yeah there. so that's one of the one can of the originals there she's naked she is naked, everybody well <laughs> if you think that that's naked wait until you see this oh i'm not sure I want to see. <laughs> no no get going go well i can't see oh hello I'm... yes that is quite quite naked yes so the concept art um it, it was it was showtime <laughs> yes so... that's right <laughs> get the twins out oh my god <laughs> so i guess Maybe costume or no costume back. hey you know yeah, never really. never know uh Teresa McAllister wants to know, Sue Ann, do you follow a fitness program? I mean, it's either that or you've got your own sarcophagus. Oh, that's very sweet. Um, no, I am. In fact, uh, fitness is a, an ongoing challenging aspect of my life and my career because I like to eat. I'm, I'm an eater. A foodie. <laughs> and yeah, I'm a foodie, big time. And... <laughs> Although I must say, uh, in the last sort of year or so, I've been, you know, had to really just kind of go, no, I've got to be better. Um, but fitness, it, it bores the hell out of me. I like standing in a gym and running on a treadmill, going nowhere or a bicycle doing that. I can't get into that. So I have, I do love dancing. I absolutely love, love, love dancing. And I have, funny enough, during lockdown on the days when I've had, and I've felt really blue, I've literally got up and just danced around the kitchen and danced for like, I'll pick a really long track and then put my headphones in and dance. And it's amazing. Five minutes or three minutes. And you kind of go, I'm out of breath and I feel a bit better. And then I'm all right. Cause then I can go, all right, I'll go and do a walk or I'll do stuff. You release endorphins and, the, and it doesn't exactly. take much to do it. And it's something that we all forget about. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then everything else is good lighting. Although this isn't, Great lighting at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's a custom-made home set. So. I tell you what, David, I bet you're learning about this too. With the, doing the show, I was like, so yeah, I'm so learning about lighting. I've got a, um, <laughs> I've got a ah no, no yes, gets a window. See, so I've got a, I've got a window. Right, oh my god, I've not decorated very well. But this, yeah. So I've got a huge light here. Is my key, yes. is my key, and right. it's it's so wonderful to have because. All I do is just adjust the blinds for the next um, uh, guest yeah. because the sun has gone a little bit up. But when it goes, it goes. So I have yeah. a light that's on the floor behind me that I turn on right. when it gets really dark. Yeah, I mean, and you're it's what, 10 o'clock, uh, 1030 there? So, I mean, yeah. what are you going to do, you know? You got to make it work. Yeah, exactly. This, uh, this changed my life, though, this little light, which I haven't needed tonight. But it's an amazing light, which I got on Amazon. It's like a little USB It's really light lightweight. Yeah. No, yeah. No, it's not USB. Oh. Um, but check this out. Like, I'm just going to, sorry. Like Bear little... with us, everyone. It goes, oh. it's amazing how bright it can go. It's got a little filter on it. Okay. But it can go, oh, it's very bright. <laughs> so it's kind of like a fill. Super bright. Okay. Yeah. So you can have, I mean, that, that's obviously Whoa! right. We're telling ghost stories. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so anyway, thank you very much to, to for that lovely Teresa. comment. I don't know. <laughs> lots of water. That's my that is my key. That is the one good thing I've always done is I drink lots of water. Good so. for you. <laughs> Claire Cowan, how weird is it be I mean these these are a little far afield, some of them. So right. um, how weird is it being born on the twenty ninth February? I guess not weird for you being a, a 
a, a um, leap year baby. Leap, and I know yeah. a, a few of them, you know? Do you're, you? Yeah, I know like two or three. So you're technically, what, eight years old? Oh, <laughs> you are kind. I'm in double digits now, which oh. is not so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> it was really nice when I was like, oh, I'm seven or eight. The minute I hit 10, I was like, <laughs> I don't like this anymore. Um, it's kind of weird, although it's also really nice because uh, I only get a birthday once every four years, but then everybody makes a really big fuss. Uh, and then when I lived in the States, uh, they tend to celebrate on the um, 1st of March. Yeah. And my family always celebrated on the 28th for some weird reason. So yeah. what, in my sort of 10 years of living in L.A., I would have a two-day birthday for three years in a row because my parents and everyone would make a fuss on the 28th in the Southern Hemisphere and then everyone in America would be like, woohoo, happy birthday, Sue Ann. So I was like, yeah, that's great. Um, but yeah, so. Labana, uh, Sue Ann, uh, has it ever been, or have you ever had any awkward moments in terms of humor on set being South African British versus... Uh, 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 dealing often with American Canadian casts, like I mean, you you said tw- tweezer, tweezer, something or other, like in other words, like tight lipped. I was like, yes, you know, little, <laughs> little, little things like that. Um, not so much me personally, but I know lots of people who've got into trouble with various um, colloquialisms and slang from different countries. So I remember when I lived in L.A., my roommate, um, who was American, but was dating a South African, uh, an Italian South African. And she went to South Africa. And now in South Africa, a fanny, as in England, your fanny is not your ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the other side. <laughs> and um, so okay. she was sitting at this very, like, religious Italian family's dinner and the grandmother was like, so Jennifer, welcome to South Africa. You are okay. You had a nice trip. She's like, yeah, except somebody stole my fanny pack. <laughs> so it's like everyone dropped their knives and forks. And she was like, yeah, I was so pissed because, you know, I love my fanny pack. <laughs> the grandmother was like, what does she say? <laughs> so every now and then. Um, things like that. And, you know, also I remember when I did, actually, this is one, when I lived in America, uh, when I was in LA and I, I was on the set, what was I filming? I think it might've been um, Just Shoot Me, the sitcom Just Shoot okay. Me. And yeah, it was. And we were filming in a, like a set that was an office. Uh, and I was talking about, they had like a whole lot of desk, you know, papers and a stapler and desk paraphernalia. And I was like, oh, can somebody just pass me that rubber? I really love rubbers. And the whole crew were like, what? And I was like, the rub, the eraser, the eraser, not the rubber, not the condom. No. Oh, my (laughs) God. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a couple of things like that that could always be a bit, you know, tricky. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's just going to be. Those things are just going to happen every now and then. Uh, Summer, uh, one of my moderators, actually, Summer, uh, said, uh, so despite you as Hathor having a great character and iconic episode containing some of the best lines, there are canon issues. I don't know if you know this um, with the queen as she was designed for you and then came later. Have you seen what the gold queen actually looks like in canon now? No, no. 
<gasps> so you don't know what Too she looks shiny. like. Uh, you're going to uh. be probably repulsed. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. Well, it's sort of a step up from a cow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Ish. So oh. that, that whole sack is the birthing sack. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, that is quite a different look, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) But I think I could rock that. Uh, That looks like a costume that I would probably wear, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Suanne, could you work this? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll just work that. Yeah, that's well, that's that's her um, her symbiote form. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, it's crazy. Wow. I'll, I'll 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 send you a more detailed shot of it later so you can have a look okay, of all of this cool. stuff. So, Gate Gabber, is there any part or character you've always wanted to play? You know, I get asked this quite a lot, okay. um, and I, it's I, there isn't anything specific uh, in terms of. I mean, I have theater roles that I'd quite like to play, mm. um, but I'm in terms of like film work I think the thing that I would really 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 love to do next is I would so love to have a a kind of recurring role in a series where I was able to build a character from scratch so where you can sort of see I've been working quite a lot with a writer friend of mine a screenwriter friend of mine and it's so fascinating to me like he'll write something and then we'll have a discussion and he also writes for one of the biggest series here um so sometimes he'll tell me about something that might be an idea for something they're developing. You know, obviously you can't give away any spoilers, but, mm. but I'm always amazed at like how something can start in one way and then an actor can take it and it becomes something else. And together you kind of create, um, <clears throat> excuse me, this, this wonderful character. So that's something that really, really interests me. And I mean, I would love it if it was like a sci-fi show. I would love to do another sci-fi show. I would love to be on Doctor Who. Love, love, love to be on Doctor Who here. Because then I feel like I've done Stargate, Red Dwarf, and Doctor Who. Trifecta. Um, Exactly. Um, I would love to work in Vancouver again. So I don't know if that would ever be a possibility because I'm here in England. But who knows? You know, that is something I would love to do. And I would really love to do a police procedural. I love, love kind of murder cop shows. Love them. So that's kind of like my putting that out there. My voice has decided to start going. I don't know what's going on. I'm sorry. I'll try to keep it brief. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) Uh, Hey, that's you got the water for. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, you drink and I'll ask. So the Fred and Akos Thomas Novaki... Um, did you know Cliff Simon um, before uh, being involved in uh, Stargate uh, fandom and the uh, the convention circuit? Obviously, Mr. South Africa before. Were you aware of him? Did you know him before? I was, yeah. So um, you, what's the guy's name who asked the question? Akos Thomas Navaki and the Fred. <laughs> okay. Akos, Thomas, Navaki, and the Fred. Yes. You guys need to go and watch my interview with Cliff Simon because it'll answer that question uh, on Hathor Hosts. <laughs> but uh, yes, I did know him. I didn't know him well. We weirdly worked together at some sort of like, because he was massively famous. Um, and I think I was hosting an event that he was appearing at. Uh, he he basically went from being Mr. South Africa to being in South Africa's biggest um soap 
uh, a show called yeah. Igoli. And it was the first kind of like nighttime serialized drama they'd ever done. So it was huge. Um, he played a character called Mitch. And uh, so we kind of met then. And then I, I know his wife, Colette, because she used to dance at Sun City. I and- love Colette. Oh, she's fantastic. And so I'd, I'd done a lot of work, um, as a, again, as a host. So I sort of knew him through that. And then at conventions, we've always gravitated towards one another because I just really adore him. I love, I don't know if it's because we come from the same country, but it just always feels really easy uh, with him. So, yeah, I did know him before. Ian wants to know, um, what is your favorite accent to pull off? Oh, oh, I love accents. You've, you've, as I'm sure you've already demonstrated. Seen. Yes, <laughs> lovely. Um, <clears throat> what's my favorite? I mean, I do like myself a little southern accent. I do kind of. There's something about it. I don't know what it is, but I do like that. And then I also like like if you're down in Georgia, where suddenly it's very different in Georgia. It sounds mighty sexy and pretty. So I love that. Um, I don't know. I love accents. I was really fascinated. I worked in Romania two years ago. Uh, and I uh, love, they have great, because it's like, literally like comic book, you know, bad Russian accent. It's like, and it was fantastic. We had, And they have, they don't give uh, at all. So we had this, I was working on a show with a really obnoxious American actor. No names will be mentioned. And she was throwing an absolute hissy fit. Um, So this was for actually a series that got into a lot of trouble uh, along the way. And I think basically they just sort of left everybody in Romania and went, good luck. Um, (laughs) So by the time I arrived, the actors, the crew, everyone was just like, oh, my God, we've been here for like months. Get us out of here. And I was only in one episode, so I was okay. (laughs) So anyway, we're on the set and this actress like, excuse me. And she was being like really, really obnoxious and like one of those like, you know, California, whatever. And she turned around to the guy and she's like, do you understand like in my country, like how rude that would be? Like you're so rude to me. (laughs) Without missing a beat, he just looked at her and went, yes, but you're not in your country now. You're in mine. And just walked off and she was like, oh my God, like so rude. (laughs) So there's something about the remain. I'm desperate to play a character like that. I keep saying to this writer friend of mine, I'm like, let me play this like very, like, do you know, they just don't care. Like I remember asking <laughs> in the restaurant, the guy came up and he's like, can I help you? But it was done like, can I help you? Like, actually you're irritating me. Can I help you? And I went, oh yes, please. Um, do you have a wine list? And he looks at me and he went, of course we have a wine list. We are a restaurant. What do you think? <laughs> I was like, well, can I see it? And he's like, yes, all right. You're right. There is something about <laughs> the the Eastern European accents. I just always yeah. love it. Boris and Natasha fooled again by moose and squirrel. You know. Exactly. I mean- <laughs> exactly. I have to just say, God, that sounds like I'm slagging off Romanians. I absolutely love the country. <laughs> and... Once you are like in the fold and in the inner sanctum, could not be warmer. But there is a definite kind of like, they just don't give a shit. You know, it's this yeah. thing of like, no, yeah. what? there's so something you, refreshing about it. It's like New Yorkers, you know, I, I am it. who yes. I am, you know, exactly. take it or leave it, you know, but exactly. I'm also, I mean, 
not just to be rude, but being genuine. You know, there's something to be said for that. I'd have much rather have that than beating around the bush. Just get to your point. Oh, same. Same. You know? And I'd much rather somebody being like, actually, don't talk to me right now, than somebody being like, oh, I'm so happy. Everything's so lovely. Everything's you fake know? that way. Because you, yeah. then you're never going to know who you're dealing with. So I agree. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Sophie, the Stargate girl. Sophie, Stargate girl. Uh, I'd love to know um, what a more challenging uh, – one one of your more challenging roles uh, were in terms of uh, prep, in terms of execution. Mm. Maybe just – it was just harder to grasp than normal. Yeah. I've talked about this as well um, in the past. I did a stage show um, about six or seven years ago now in South Africa – uh, about a true story uh, about a South African woman called Alison Boerta, who was abducted one evening at about 7 or 8 p.m. at night in her own car. Um, two guys got in. Uh, it was 1996, I think, when it happened. Uh, they drove her around um, for hours. They kept telling her they wouldn't hurt her, that it was all going to be okay. Uh, and then eventually kind of drove her into this little clearing near the sea Um they raped her and then they stabbed her multiple times and they slit her throat 17 times and then thought she was dead, left her. She regained consciousness, uh, had the presence of mind to write their names because they'd obviously talked to each other, wrote their names in the sand and a message for her mum in the sand. And she sort of then lay there thinking she was going to die. And then in her own words, she said, I had this sort of weird out-of-body experience where <clears throat> my body kind of rose up And she could see the main road. She said, I don't know what happened. I don't know if I went and came back, but she was sort of like aware of being above her body. She could see her bloodied body below uh, and she could see the main road and she knew it wasn't as far as she had thought it was. And in that moment, she decided to fight. And just like that, she she was back back. in her body. Yeah. Yeah. She crawled to the main road. Something's going on there. I mean, it was unreal. Her story, I urge any, like if you read her book, her book is called I Have Life and it is unbelievable. And a director that I know quite well called Marilyn Fenrinen decided it would make a good play. And it was incredibly challenging, but I played her. Um, Oh my God. And I got to do it for 12 weeks. So three months every night playing this very harrowing role. But ultimately what's so extraordinary about the story is that in spite of all the damage that they caused, they missed like her carotid artery, her vena, uh, what's it, the vena cava, whatever it's called, vein. Um, They missed her uh, vocal cords. So, and they did, they tried to destroy her womb and apparently didn't do any long-term damage. I mean, she's obviously got scars there, Um, but she was able to speak. So when she woke up the next day in hospital, she was able to speak and identify them and they were arrested and remain in prison today. Uh, And she has subsequently gone on to be, um, she also was really instigative in changing kind of the laws in South Africa um, to talk about kind of rape victims because she right away was like, I will never be one of those women who's like, oh, it was my fault. Because I mean, she was in her own car. Uh, So it's an amazing story. And it happened at a time in South Africa when the country was changing politically Um, and I think her story really resonates with people all over the world. And it was a huge challenge to play her, 
but also it was the one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my entire life because people would I've never done a play ever where the audience would we'd get to the point in the show where she comes back into her body and decides I'm gonna fight and oh even talk about it now I get goosebumps um and people literally would be like "Oh, oh you know like there was this kind of reaction and afterwards every single night we would get to the end and the lights would do this really slow fade to black and by the time the lights were down people were up out of their chairs screaming chant like going absolutely nuts and for the first week of the run we had her in the audience every night oh my so god we would get to the end and i would say ladies and gentlemen the real allison and she would come on stage and people would just go absolutely nuts um but it was, yeah, it was an incredible challenge, a, a massive honor, and but really challenging because a the subject matter is tricky, um, sensitive it was to, issue, very know? sensitive, and how to present it in a way on stage because also the director was like, I don't want any nudity, mm-hmm. no one needs, you know, we know almost everyone in South Africa knows what happened to her, and if you didn't know, she was like, I'm not interested in showing that, I don't want to give these men any more uh, power than they have. Um, so it was very, very challenging. And then also the, the play is heavily based on a book that she wrote. But in the book, she talks a lot about, uh, for example, there's a bit in the book where they pull up at a light and in front of them, there's a cop car. And she's driving, like thinking, oh, please, please help me, help me, help me. But she's like the whole time working out, thinking, can I, do I have time to get out right. and signal for help if i hoot will they you know if i honk the horn will they see me or will they will they drive off if you i just do kill that, her right there happy. you know yeah um and the big challenge was like how do we show that when it's because i said very it became very clear that when i spoke it didn't work when i was speaking her thoughts and i was like we have to find a way that we somehow know when allison is thinking and when she's actually speaking to the two men in the car And we came up with a really simple but massively effective device, which was that the other actors who all played multiple parts would become my voice. And it's at first you're like, yeah. You would have to get used to it. Exactly. But it's amazing because it happens like that. People go, oh, I see. That's what they're doing. And then they're in the story, you know, and we had almost no props. I was never nude. And in fact, the whole rape scene, because in reality, it happened in the passenger seat. We, I stood and narrated it and all you could see were his hands. He was sort of kneeling, but in the dark. And you just saw a hand reach up for my hand here because he, he throttles her. So we did really kind of clever, simple, simple things that were incredibly effective because I think it made people go, oh, it, it, then it's even more horrific when you hear what she actually had to go through and how she yeah. coped. Anyway, so yeah, that was probably the most challenging um, how rewarding <laughs> and how uh, oh, what an honor incredible. to be picked to do it i mean just being selected right there is almost like you know yeah how wonderful and amazingly like the moment because i obviously knew who she was yeah. and funny enough when i i read her book when i was living in la like in the early 90s and i so wanted to make it into a movie but i didn't know how i was like i don't know how to get the rights and i never really pursued it but like her book stayed with me for years so i didn't know like when i met her i was like will it be how will it be and it's so weird we kind of look similar we have very similar speech patterns uh 
And she, she had so many friends come and see the show who were like, because I dyed my hair brown to, to play her. Yeah. And there were so many people who were like, I would look at, like, do a double take and just kind of go, is yeah. that, is that Ali? It's you know? working. So it was, yeah. Wow. So it was a massive honor. And she's an incredible woman. And I love her to this day. Uh, Morkan uh, says, did you study Ra at all in the original film to give you any kind of inspiration for playing his wife slash daughter? No, I'm afraid to say I did not. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, Rashma. Oh, okay. Um, so it wasn't even like, you know, I was it a a, a, a an avoidance of the content to create your own interpretation? No, it was it was more um I kind of as I said, I did like I looked up who Hathor was yeah. and then I think on like my second day, because you know they change the script all the time and you get like pink pages, green pages mm-hmm. and and somebody came up to me and said, don't get too hung up on like the Egyptian mythology because okay. actually we're kind of doing our own thing. She's not quite the same. So I, I allowed that kind of imagination to, to just, and then I knew that in our version, her relationship with Ra is not good. Yeah. So I had like, I had worked out a little backstory that he'd kind of betrayed her and left her. Oh, Cause I was like, what's she doing in that Mayan temple anyway? You hey, locked her in there. Exactly. But why? So I was like, that's the story I think we should tell. Do you still have that story? Oh, yeah. Tucked away. (laughs) Well, you may have to hint a a hint at it at some point uh, when we have you back. Okay. Um, Guillaume, uh, what was it like working with, with, with Michael Shanks? I mean, in this episode, he's basically her experiment. I mean, Jack is as well to make new Jaffa, but um, she selected him to be the DNA of her yes, new exactly um, her new babies uh yeah i mean you know i know i sound like a broken record but again i have only wonderful things to say he was really lovely um warm welcoming when i first arrived we worked together really easily i felt there was quite good chemistry i mean again it's quite interesting watching it back as i said yesterday <laughs> um because i remember reading quite early on some somebody said something online about oh I hated the episode because basically she sexually abuses him and everything and I was like oh I didn't I sort of like I mean I see that completely yeah he is at her will he is but I was also a bit like hmm. guys it's you know like she's a, she's an evil goddess just that of course she's gonna do whatever you know if it was a man he may you know in this sort of like traditional old tropes that probably would have been you know through violence or a fight or a duel she used the tool that she knew would be the most effective and that was seduction that was mm-hmm. how she got what she needed um and her, I do her think technology that... too through her mouth exactly so, yeah and i sort of think we missed a trick there and i this is something i would have said like i i think i would have made her much more ambivalent sexually um if it would if it was set now I don't like, I don't think it should have, I don't think the women should have been immune to it necessarily. Um, Mm. Which, you know, I don't know. It might've been a very different show. There was a a thing when I, there's a scene where I'm sort of rubbing something on Amanda's face. And in one of the scenes we did, I licked her face and they were all like, and everyone was like, Oh, it's so evil. It's really like, it's a bit sort of Hannibal Lecter. But I think they obviously thought that was one, one step too far. But I kind of loved that because it was like, it made her, um, you're just never sure. And, that, you know, when you're dealing with someone who is, 
sort of a power hungry megalomaniac mm -hmm. but who's clever but who's you know you're not sure what they're going to do mm -hmm. and it's that like not it's that uh, unpredictability i think that makes it quite you know like oh, will she is she going to kill them or kiss them <laughs> kind of yeah they're at her mercy yeah um, but I'm sorry, Guillaume, I have not answered your question. So uh, it was wonderful <laughs> working with Michael. Um, we got on really, really well. Uh, lots of laughs. I just remember, you know, very often scenes like that, a kind of passionate or love scenes are often quite <laughs> awkward when you're on set. And so if you can laugh about them, which we certainly did, it helps a lot because it just sort of makes everybody go... I can breathe a sigh of relief. Exactly. You know? No. Yeah. I know we're running a little bit over. Last question for you. William Hostman. Uh, do you, no, I, I apologize. Uh, do you like um, playing villains? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I love playing villains. I think because like in, again, in real life, I'm much more like, <laughs> you know, like sort of not really that uh, cool and calculating. <laughs> um. And there's something great about playing a good villain. You know, there's just something really deeply satisfying, I guess. Maybe it's because we get to exercise all the things that we don't get to do in normal life or in everyday life. You know, it's like when someone's mean to you and three days later you think, I should have said that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, if, you know, when you're the villain, you get to say that in the moment and then walk away. And uh, there's something really lovely about that. <laughs> uh, Emma Emma Bentley just wanted to make a comment. Um, I am transgender, and watching Stargate with the Gawold in and different people in different bodies, it um, helped me in the long run to see myself and not to hide. Oh, that's so great! That's really great. See, that's exactly what we were talking about at the beginning of the show. This this series that has truly had life-changing uh effects on so many people i mean i don't there's not many things you can say that about and certainly That's not true. tv shows i know and it, art is open to, to the interpretation of the person who is watching it and mm -hmm. we can't just assume that our way is the way so. yeah absolutely perfectly put sue ann this has been a delight. I have been wanting to have a conversation with you for years now. I am I am so privileged to have you on, and I'm really looking forward to watching our, our two shows uh, grow over for the next few years here. Oh, David, well, I, I feel exactly the same. It's been an absolute privilege to chat to you, and I am so delighted. Like, when you reached out and you said to me, oh, I've been thinking about doing this show, and you know, I'm not quite sure, but you kind of given me the the nudge I needed. Yeah. I can't tell you, I that that like is the most rewarding thing. A and B, huge congratulations on your show. It is wonderful. I've watched a few of your interviews. I'm a bit behind, um, <laughs> but uh, but it's it's just been great. And you know, it's so wonderful because you clearly love the show and the and the genre and such respectful lovely warm fantastic interviews so i wish you nothing but great success for the future and as i said as you said it'd be lovely watching our shows grow together absolutely no and and thank you for always being there for uh the fans and being so receptive to them and just uh, continuing to keep uh the love of this uh franchise alive truly 
Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And everyone stay safe till we can hug and meet again. Yes. (laughs) Hopefully sooner rather than later, but it will happen. Absolutely. It will. It will. Thank you so much, Sue Ann. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. You take care of yourself. I'll be in touch with (laughs) you you real soon. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye. Sue Ann Braun, everyone. Hathor and host of Hathor Hosts on the uh, YouTube channel Hathor Hosts TV. Thank you so much to everyone who has tuned in. I do have some fan art to share with everyone. Let me pull this up here. From Sally Whitesides. The first two pictures are a Stargate centerpiece that I made. The Stargate itself is made out of styrofoam and all hand-painted. And inside the Stargate are my own drawings. There's an SG-1 and an SGA side. So that's the that's the SGA side. Let's look at the SG-1 side. Oh, how cool. The next picture is a charcoal drawing of Daniel Jackson. It looks like him from beneath the surface. And Michael has given his blessing on that for sure. And the next is also something I created center for a centerpiece. This is created with about 4,000 beads individually placed and melted together. I created it based off of a picture from reference. And the last is my interpretation of the Harmony painting in charcoal. Wow, that is charcoal. That is so cool. All right. Sally also says, I started creating Stargate art several years ago, and I wasn't very good at it. I just did it to pass some time, and I ended up getting sick, and then art became something that I did in the hospital to help pass the time and keep my mind off things. As I started doing it more and more, I realized I was getting better. And then I started doing it more and more in different things like charcoal and painting, so different uh, mediums. And I'm still learning, but I am working at it. You know, it's amazing what we... um, can accomplish when we hunger down and put our mind to it. So thank you, Sally, for submitting those. So before we go, if you like what you've seen in this episode, I would really appreciate it if you would click the like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm, and it will definitely help the show grow its audience. And please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. If you want to get notified about future episodes, please click that subscribe icon. And if you plan on watching live, I recommend giving the bell icon a click so you'll be the first to know of any schedule changes, um, which will uh, happen now and again. And clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next several days on both the Dial the Gate and GateWorld.net YouTube channels. Speaking of schedule changes, I do have a note from Rainbow. He sent to me about 25 minutes ago. We may have a schedule change there. Um, For sure, he's probably not going to be ready in the next 15 minutes. So I will be posting a notification of what's going on uh, there so that we can accommodate his schedule. Thank you again so much to Sue Ann Braun of Hathor Hosts. And thank you uh, to my moderators, Summer, Ian, Tracy, Keith, Keith, and Jeremy. You guys are fantastic. Jennifer Kirby and Linda Gategab Fury. That rhymes. Thank you so much for everyone for uh, tuning in. And you know what? Uh, We will be seeing you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acri. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith Homel, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, 
Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes, at dialthegate.com. <laughs>